Bibles this morning to the book of James, chapter number one. James, chapter number one, verse 17. This is one of those verses that I refer to quite often, but really without giving it a lot of thought or looking at the details. And this morning, we want to look a bit deeper than we normally do. Verse 17, James, chapter one. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Sometimes we get hold of a scripture, and sometimes a scripture gets a hold of us. And that's what happened to me this last week, all week long. This verse has held me captive. I, I just can't get away from it. Uh, whatever else I think about, whatever else I study about, it always gets back to this. We just finished Stewardship Month. And uh, as you know, that has to do with us understanding the importance of giving. Not, not just the giving of our tithe, but the giving of our time, our talent, the giving of our very selves to the purpose of God for our life. Well, today I'm going to speak about just the opposite of that. I'm going to speak about receiving. And hopefully it'll be in such a way that will encourage you to become a great receiver. And that is as close to football as I'm going to get because you wouldn't want to hear anything I've got to say about the NFL. So we're through with that. We're not talking about Jerry Rice or somebody else when we talk about a great receiver. We're talking about us receiving from the Lord. As strange as it is, as difficult as it is to, you know, to get people to give, sometimes it's even more difficult to get people to receive. So before we talk about the responsibility to receive, I want to make sure you understand the incentive for both giving and receiving. And I'm talking about the fact that God is a great giver. God is a great giver. And I could talk for hours about that. Talk about the things that God has given us Without ever leaving this chapter, we see repeatedly here the things God has given us. He's given us His Son. He's given us the Scripture. He's given us our supplies, salvation, satisfaction. And then you look beyond this chapter and beyond this book, and there are numerous things throughout the Bible that describe what God has given. One of my favorite is found in Romans 8.32. How many of you read the morning manna this morning? I started to say, why am I writing that? I didn't actually write that, Spurgeon did. But it was better than what I could write, so I copied it. And sometimes I wonder, why do I do that? You know, spend the time doing that. And then I, 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 I get a message from a preacher and his wife saying that we lay in bed every morning drinking coffee and waiting for the morning manu to pop up before we get our day started, because we like to start our day with thinking about God's Word. 
and, and, and you know, if it just helps one, that, that's enough for me. But the point is, morning manna was based on this verse here. And I want you to notice Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, amen, but delivered him up for us all. I'm glad that's in there. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I don't know about you, that takes my breath away when I read that. That gives me blessed assurance. It gives me perfect peace and a reason to rejoice, to realize that God not only saves me, but God has also promised me that He'll provide whatever need there might be in my life. And it's all freely given. That's why I often say, none of us are earning our way with God. So many times we think, well, if I'll do this and I'll do that, if I'll be good, if I'll keep the rules and so forth, well, then I will in some way earn the blessings of God. No, you won't. That all comes as a result of God's grace. You see, God loves to give. And He loves to give. Why? Because He's love. And that's what the Bible tells us. God is love and His nature never changes. He is what He was and He will be as He's always been. You see, God will never change. He's the God of all grace. He's the giver of all gifts, James says. He's the source of all supply. And the sad thing is, too many people think God is only a taker. You mention God, and the first thing they think of is, well, yeah, you know, He's a big bully sitting on the throne, a killjoy trying to make life miserable for us. You know, He expects us to give up this and to give up that. And, you know, if I do what He wants me to do, you know, I can't really have any fun. I can't enjoy life. And all, all they think about is what God takes, what God requires. But the fact of the matter is, God wants to do more for you and for me than what we normally allow Him to do. And we're like Israel of old when it says that they limited the Holy One of Israel. And we limit God whenever we refuse Him. The question is... Why in the world would we do that? God is a great giver. God loves to give. God wants to give and to provide what we need even more than what we desire to receive it. But why would we refuse what is freely given by the grace of God? Well, there could be several reasons why people do that. And I think maybe number one is some misconceptions. People that have been misinformed. Let me just throw in an example of what I'm talking about in Mark chapter number 7. And uh, here is the Lord and the disciples were going about and of course the Pharisees and the Jews were constantly finding fault and it says they came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem and when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is to say with unwashed hands they found fault. <laughs> Boy, they'd had a heart attack. They'd seen how I was raised. We didn't really worry about washing our hands, you know, as people, you know, not like we do today. And uh, my, I've eaten sometimes more mud than I, you know, than anything. I mean, it just 
the hygiene wasn't there like probably should have been. But these fellows had taken it to another level. For the Pharisees and all of the Jews except, they washed their hands off, eat not. Now, get this, holding the tradition of the elders. And verse number 4 says, And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and tables. I mean, they had a whole list of things. These traditions handed down from generation to generation. And they followed those traditions just like, you know, just like it was the, the law of God. Verse 7, he says, How be in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You see, some people have been misinformed. Those people that refuse to give God what He desires, refuse to receive what God offers, are those that have been listening to, to somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. Here in James chapter 1 and verse number 16, Notice he says, do not err, my beloved brethren. And the only way that we can keep from being in error is to make the Bible the basis for our beliefs. We can't afford to say, well, you know, the Baptists have always done this or the Baptists have always done that. Look, we, we don't get our rule of conduct handed down from the tradition of our Baptist forefathers. We get it from the Word of God, you see. And that's where they had gone awry. And that's exactly why a lot of people to this day continue to refuse what God is offering uh, simply because they have listened to the wrong people, got their information from the wrong place. When you read the Word of God, you discover what God has given and what God wants to give. And the first thing I mentioned this morning, the very first thing, I want you to understand that everything else depends on the first thing I'm about to mention this morning. What God wants you to receive. God's a great giver. He's given every good and perfect gift. And He expects us to receive. God expects us to receive His Son as our Savior. Amen? John said in chapter 1 and verse 11, As many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. Remember, He came unto His own, but they received Him not. And we look back upon those Jews who rejected Christ. Those are responsible for nailing Him to the cross, as it were. And we, we wonder why. And it's because simply they were misinformed. And they rejected the Messiah when He came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He gave His life that we might receive eternal life. And all who receive Him by faith become the children of God. You see, that, that is a gift available to every man, woman, boy, and girl, every person on the face of the earth. God is offering through the person of His Son the gift of salvation. Anybody could be saved. There's nothing more simple than that. It's all in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you say, well, preacher, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I believe that uh, to become a Christian, I've got to, you know, join the church. I've got to be baptized. I've got to be a good neighbor. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Let me tell you, works won't work. 
When you listen, when you try to earn what God has freely given, that is an insult to God. There would have been absolutely no reason for Christ to come into this world and suffer and bleed and die if you could earn your way to heaven. So listen now carefully. When I talk about, first of all, above all, you must receive Christ as your Savior. When that happens, automatically some other things happen. That is the forgiveness of sins. Whenever I receive Christ as my Savior, I don't have to turn around and do something else to secure the forgiveness of my sins. That's all taken care of. It's all under the blood from that point on, you see. Forgiveness. But not only forgiveness, there is justification. That word justification has us you know, to, to think of ourselves as being declared as though there's no sin against us. We are justified. That is, in the judicial reckoning of Almighty God, He declares us to be free from sin. Now, we know that we're not, but in His reckoning, He declares us to be. We're justified. We're forgiven. Not only that, but He imparts a righteousness to us. That's why you hear preachers talking about being wrapped in the robe of the righteousness of Christ. And that's the way it is because from that point on, God looks upon us not in our sinful self, but He looks upon us and sees the righteousness of Christ. And the Bible says, and we receive grace. In fact, it says we receive abundant grace. And on and on the list goes of things that we receive the very moment that we're saved. But this morning, I want you to focus on those things that we could and we should receive after we've received Christ. I'm talking about the responsibility of receiving from the God who loves to give. I have a lot of respect for givers. I know there are some people that, you know... If somebody is very generous, there'll always be someone not only try to take advantage of their generosity, but there'll be some people, some super self-righteous people that'll try to find fault with what they do. I'll guarantee you it happens more than you can imagine. Well, they're just doing it to draw attention to themselves or, you know, some silly remark like that. I'll tell you, I've got a great respect for givers. The Bible talks about some having the gift of giving. Now, anybody can give, but there are some that are gifted of God that they're they're able to give cheerfully, lovingly, abundantly, above anything and everything God requires or anybody expects. They, there's just something in them. They just love to give. And, and, and I respect them for that, but... I also respect great receivers. You see, there are some folks that can't give because they haven't received. Until you receive what God offers, you can't do what God requires. We look at people and say, well, it just doesn't seem fair. They've got so much and I've got so little. It might be they've got so much because they've been receiving things God wanted them to have. And when I say that, I'm not talking about money. It might lead to money in their pocket. That could happen. 
But whenever we receive, whenever we have a submissive spirit, and as Romans 6 tells us, when we yield ourselves to God, God has a way of opening up the floodgates of heaven and pouring out a blessing that, that we just, beyond what we can receive, beyond what we can imagine. So understand, when we talk about being a great receiver from this point on in the message, we're not talking about receiving Christ. That's when it starts. We're not talking about being forgiven. We're not talking about justification. We're not talking about these other things that I've mentioned. That's automatic. That happens the moment that you're saved. Regardless of what you do, that's going to happen. But at that point in your life, there are some things you need to receive to become the person God wants you to be. Look at verse number 21. And here's the first thing on that list. He says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and here it is, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You ought to receive the Scripture. Amen. You see, the Word of God is necessary not only for our salvation, it is essential to our welfare after salvation. And let me tell you, after salvation, there's absolutely nothing more important than this. It's impossible for any of us to become the person God wants us to be without feeding upon God's Word, a willingness to receive the Word of God. We have to read it. I just wonder, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything, I just wonder how many could honestly say, yeah, I spend at least 10 or 15 minutes every day reading the Word of God. I mean, let me tell you, you can't receive it if you don't read it. You have to read it. You need to study it. You need to hear it. You need to accept it. You need to apply it unto your own life, you see. The Word of God works wonders. And I'm going to preach about this tonight. I want to speak tonight about, well, I won't tell you, but it relates to this very thing, receiving the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. Now, I want you to think about that because it goes beyond the matter of salvation. It involves the very welfare of your life. And the Word of God, when you soak it up as a Christian, it works wonders. It's sufficient for everything. Look in First Peter, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things. Notice, He's given unto us. God's a great giver. He's given to us all things that pertain unto, uh, unto life and godliness. Here it is. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Where do we gain this knowledge of Him? We gain it from the Word of God. You don't receive it by osmosis. Yeah, there's not some fairy going to come down and sprinkle fairy dust on you that's going to enlighten your understanding. There's not going to be angels descend from heaven and sit on your shoulder and whisper in your ear and give you a greater knowledge of Christ. The only place you get that is in the Scripture, in the Word of God. And we need to receive it. God has given it. 
And it's sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, it is absolutely everything we need to live as we should. And some of you, without a doubt, spend less than five minutes a day looking at God's Word, and then you scratch your head and wonder why things not going so good. It's pretty easy to figure out. If we don't receive the word, you mark it down, folks. We're going to we're going to cause God to withhold. We're going to limit the Holy One of Israel. Because God works through His Word. That is the avenue, the means whereby God gives you what you need for life and godliness. But it has to be received. But that's not all. We need to receive the strength that He provides because the very, the very minute, let me just hit on several things here and I don't want to lose sight of what we're talking about, but there's several things as you go through the Bible that, that we're told that we need to receive. For me, the moment I got saved, the first thing I realized is wait a minute, there is something that God has done to me and for me that has changed me and God has called me to to live a life that I can't live. It's a standard above what I'm able to keep. Uh, that's why I often say we're called to live a miracle. Think about that. If God's desire for each and every one of us is that we live the life of Christ. Remember Paul said for me for to me to live is Christ. And that, that's the way it ought to be for every single Christian. But that's a standard far too high. One of the first verses I memorized and the one that I clung to more than any verse in the Bible was Philippians 4.13. But I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me because I knew I couldn't live this life. I knew I, I would never survive. I knew that my mama would have been right whenever she made that curt remark. Well, it won't last. She would have been exactly right, except for the fact she discounted God and what He's able to do. You see, God provides us the strength we need to do what He desires. We need to receive that strength. You know, if you don't, well, you're going to suffer the consequences. It has to be received, just like the Scriptures have to be received. Now look in verse 27. Here's something else that we need to receive the service to which He calls us. Boy, this could involve a lot of different things, but notice James is so practical in his letter. Somebody's likened it into the Proverbs of the New Testament. Verse 27 he says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pretty simple instructions. But let's face it, it's pretty much basically ignored by the average church member in this day and age. To... Notice, to visit the fatherless and the widows. Now naturally, that list could go on and on. It has to do with, with all of those that are in need. 
whether they be children or women or whoever it is, it's talking about those in need. So many times somebody said, well, so-and-so was sick and the preacher never come up to see him. Why didn't you? Don't come to me and tell me there might have been some reason I couldn't. Might have been some reason I wouldn't. But whatever the case is, don't tell me. Somebody says, oh, well, isn't that your job? No, it's not my job. Not any more than it's your job. Not any more than it's Brother Preston's job. You don't know what my job is? You don't know his job? Go read Acts chapter number 6. It's prayer and give yourself to what? The Word of God. Give, they gave themselves. You say, well, who's supposed to do it? Well, guess what? They ordained deacons. Lo and behold, what, what were they doing? They were doing what needed to be done so that the pastors didn't have to do those things. But that's not to say the pastor shouldn't ever make a hospital call. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's more a deacon's responsibility than it is a pastor's responsibility. And I'm also saying it's all of our responsibility. Every member of the church has a responsibility to minister to other members of the church. I realize that God hasn't called everybody to preach. But He calls all of us to serve Him in some way. And it doesn't make any difference. However, God chooses to use you. You need to consider that a high and a holy calling. Because every Christian has been called into service. Every Christian has been gifted in some way. You need to receive that of the Lord. To receive that calling from God. Well, you say, preacher, I I need to be ordained. Okay, I ordain all of you right now. How about that? You're ordained. As the pastor of the church, you know, I ordain. Go out there and do it, right? Look, you don't need some special ceremony or ordination to do what the Bible's already commanded you to do, folks. This is a service that we, each and every one of us, are to render that we're to minister to those that are in need. And so many times we'll, boy, we will receive the healing grace of the Lord. Man, we will receive the monetary gifts of God. We receive the forgiveness of our sins. We'll receive this. But boy, when it comes down to the service that God has for us, so many times people don't want to receive that. God has given you a ministry, and you need to receive it. Along that same line, we need to receive the saints. Look in chapter 2 and verse number 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. That's kind of a tricky verse, but it's very simple, really. He's simply saying that a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, claiming to be a Christian, claiming to be a believer, doesn't doesn't go along with having respect of persons. They're contrary to one another. And you read on, in fact, and he gives us a warning about showing more respect, you know, to the man that comes in in the rich apparel. They say, you be seated up here in this high place. We'll honor you. And here comes somebody that's poor in. And, you know, well, you sit down here in this low place. 
We are to receive the saints. It makes no difference whether they're red, yellow, black, or white, or rich, or poor, or anything else. If they're a child of God, amen, they're family. And we ought to love them. We ought to receive them. And, and I surely don't need to explain whenever I say this. That when you've really received someone, that is to say that you have accepted them and so forth, it's obvious to them. And we all know what it's like to be somewhere where people might tolerate you, but they don't really receive you. I could name some churches within spitting distance, nearly. They'll, re they they'll tolerate you but they'll never really receive you unless you march to the beat of their drummer. You know, we are to receive the saints of God. And let me tell you, they can be pretty messed up sometimes. And we ought to receive them. We ought to love them doesn't mean we approve of what they do, but it means that we love them in spite of their faults and their failures. We love them. Why? Because God loves them. And we ought to receive them. We ought to receive the supplies that God has promised. Look in chapter 4 and verse number 2, and maybe this will, maybe this will just be a hint of what I'm talking about. He says, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not. But notice this phrase he inserts, because ye ask not. There are some things that are simply bestowed upon us. In fact, that's true of even of those that are unsaved. The Bible says God is good to all. He sends the rain and the sunshine on the just and the unjust alike to those that are thankful and those that are unthankful. God expresses His goodness and sends His gifts upon all manner of people. So there's some things that are bestowed, but there are other things that have to be received. They have to be received by faith because in chapter number 1, he tells us if we don't believe, we shouldn't think we're going to receive anything of God. Faith is essential. And faith is our response to God's promise. It's us embracing what God has declared. Believing that God will do what He said. And for us to have the supplies that we need in life, it's essential that we receive them. And we receive them best by, by prayer. Let me tell you, as much as you might need something, God will not force it upon you. You have to receive it. And for the life of me, I do not understand why there are those that are in desperate need in so many ways, and yet you continue to just hold God at arm's length. You let Him get this close and no closer. You refuse to receive what God is freely making available. Let me tell you, your needs will never be met until you're willing to receive the things God has promised. Well, let me wrap this up. How do we respond to what God 
offers. Well, hopefully with a submissive attitude. Why would we do that? What does that demonstrate whenever someone responds willingly to the things that God has offered? When they receive what God has given. First of all, it declares our character. It tells about who we are. I mean, anyone that, you know, for God to say here, I want you to receive this. I'm a great giver. I love to give. I want you to have it. It's, it'll, it's for your own own good. I want to give it to you. And for us to say, nah, don't want it. I don't care about that. You see, whenever we receive, it declares our character. It determines our welfare. And it decides what ultimately that we'll be able to do. And let me tell you, if we're wise, we'll do what God wants us to do. We'll receive what God wants for us. He offers, but we have to, to receive or to do without. And why, why would we want to deprive ourselves of the things that we need? What could be more foolish than that? Why would we do it? Well, it might be ignorance as we've already talked about. You know, like, like those Jews that followed the traditions of man. It might be just ignorance because they'd been misinformed. It might be because of pride. It might be because of the love of some sin that you want to hang on to. You know God doesn't want you to, to continue in that sin and you're not ready and willing to give it up. It might be ingratitude. And in fact, I, I think I can honestly say that in some way is always associated with this matter of rejecting what God offers. Go back to Romans chapter number 1 and he tells us clearly there when they knew not, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. You see, when we understand what a great giver God is, what a good God He is, we cannot but be grateful for what He has done. And ingratitude causes us to reject it. It might be unbelief. It's just one of those things to our way of thinking sounds too good to be true. Kind of like you know, somebody said to the preacher one time talking about heaven, said that just sounds too good to be true. And he said, no, no. He said it sounds too good to not be true. You know, but some people in some way or another convince themselves that even though God has said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. God, that's, that's not a promise I made. That's a promise from God. And there's some people act like that couldn't be true. Oh, I mean, he might have done that for some people, but he wouldn't do that for me. Why? Look, Bev and I have been living on that promise. I mean, for over 50 years now, we've been clinging to that, believing that if we'll just do what God wants us to do, we don't need to worry about, you know, what our needs might be. I believe that's true of every child of God. That's not to say that God's going to give you anything you want, and there's a good reason He doesn't, because you're too dumb to know what you really need. And I am too. Because there's a lot of times God would, you know, if God would have said, well, would you, would you want this or would you rather have that? Well, now, which one costs the most? Which one lasts the longest? Which one will bring me the most pleasure? Well, I'll take that then. 
I don't always know what's good for me, but God does. And I know when I do the will of God, as a child of God and the will of God, I'll have the supplies of God. And I'd be, look, I would be a fool to do otherwise. The only remedy for this problem of being a poor receiver, rejecting what God offers, is repentance. You know, we can sing about it, we can preach about it, we can talk about all of the glorious gifts that God has given us, and that, that is so exciting and so thrilling. But folks, look, it's not profitable to us unless we receive what God has offered. We you know, saying, amazing grace, you know, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Man, people everywhere love that. You can go into the bars and the honky-tonks, they love that song there. Go to Nashville and Hollywood, they love that song there. Everybody loves Amazing Grace. But the grace of God doesn't do you one bit of good. Not one bit. Unless you are willing to receive what God offers, you see. I love what the Lord said in Matthew 7, If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? You see, Father knows best. And, and if you really love your children, you want, you want to help them however you can. You want, you want them to experience the very best possible in life. You don't want to see them hurt. You don't want to see them do with that. You don't want to see them suffer. Let me tell you, God loves us a million times more than we love our children. He knows how to give good things to His children. He will. He promised. But you have to receive what He offers. And as I said, sometimes it's not a matter of receiving directly what it is that you think that you need. It's a matter of receiving what has to precede that as, as the Scripture. You can't turn your back on the Word of God and ignore that, holding God at arm's length saying, I'm not going to allow you to speak to me today, and then expect God to do all of these other things. It doesn't work that way. But when you receive Him through His Word, that opens up the, the gate, so to speak, for God to do these other things in your life. But if you're here today, remember what I said in the beginning? The first thing I mentioned, everything else that I'm talking about, everything else that I've mentioned this morning depends on the first thing I mentioned, and that is to receive God's Son as your Savior. Have you? Will you? Why wouldn't you? We're going to give you that opportunity right here and right now. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ by faith as your Lord and Savior, would you do that right here this morning? Please don't put it off. Please don't ignore what I've said this morning. Please don't suppose that you'll have a better time or another time to do it. This could be your last opportunity. Only God knows. Take advantage of it. Let's stand and pray and then we're going to sing. Father,
How we thank You, Lord, not only for every good and perfect gift that You've sent down from above, but we thank You most of all for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save us from our sins. How thankful we are to know that You care so much that You'd give heaven's best in order to deliver us from the filthiness of our sins. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit might speak to hearts Lord, that You might bring folks to a point of conviction in their life, that they'll not only see their need of Christ, but this morning that they might receive the gift of salvation that He provides. And then help each and every one of us become good receivers as we receive those things that You've made available. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand as we sing, You come.